Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And wrapping up for this week, the official podcast of the National Bank Open from Toronto. And Mike, uh, today, the Sunday being the final um, finals day in both Toronto and Montreal, we crowned two brand new champions, of course. And also, we have a Canadian champion in doubles as Gabby Dabrowski captured uh, the tournament for the first time in her home country's biggest event. Yeah, we'll look forward to chatting about all those wonderful results, especially Gabby's to me. I think it's just so great to see a Canadian. After all week long, you're hearing about how, oh, the Canadians didn't do that well. We don't really have any Canadians. Well, you know, time out. Don't forget about doubles and don't forget about Gabby Dabrowski. So I do, when we touch on that later, want to make a big deal out of it because it's deserved. But first and foremost, uh, partner, hey, we did it. We uh, got through another grueling seven-day schedule, plus all the prep before that to uh, hopefully pull off what our listeners um, would say was a successful coverage of the National Bank Open um, from our side. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I don't think we screwed too much up, did we? (laughs) I I think we did a a fairly good job. I hope that the listeners can let us know. And really, uh, even though this is day seven recording, it it did feel kind of like nine or 10 days because we did have a lot of pre-tournament prep and press conferences, um, countless interviews, of course. I, I will say this is a joke that we had some rumbling suggesting that we were a jinx to players because there was a, an odd pattern of a number of our guests over the final like four days or so um, that we interviewed them and then they lost um, their upcoming match. Uh, I don't think we do bear the responsibility for that. Um I don't subscribe to that train of thought. I don't. I... And I will say Casper Rude, I interviewed him and there was a whole narrative of like, well, he's amazing on clay. Can he win on hard? And he won two hardcore matches after our interview. So I, I will say that. There you um, go. But you otherwise, know? I was starting to sort of dread, you know, the results and realizing, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I'm going to get a flood of messages again from a few of my friends out there. Yeah. And- and tennis reporting colleagues who shall remain nameless, but you know, you know who you are, and I'm going to get you back for this for planting that seed of doubt in my head. Right. Yes, that's that's fair. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm also not subscribing to that theory. But um, I was subscribing to all the great tennis that we caught uh, throughout the week, and we'll start in in Toronto and Daniil Medvedev defeating Riley Opelka in the finals on Sunday, six four six three. And look, we talked about this ahead of the tournament. He was the top seed. Rafael Nadal is suddenly out early on without playing a match. And we felt like this was a tournament that was probably Medvedev or Tsitsipas's for the taking. And Danil, to me, behind Novak Djokovic, is the best hardcore player in the world right now. Yeah, he was just terrific all week long. And uh, semifinals, finals defeated back-to-back serve bots, as uh, Riley Opelka would uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, call them. And he was so solid today in the final 6-4, 6-3. And, you know, it wasn't like that quarterfinal I watched against her catch where it really seemed like he was on the outs this time. And in the semis as well, he was in control from, from start to finish, really. And today, never bothered by the Apelka serve, never seeming like the tide was going to turn. Um, you know, midway through the second set, all the sort of dignitaries and tournament organizers started gathering in the tunnel to bring out the trophy because it seemed pretty much like a foregone conclusion. I kind of felt bad for Opelka when that happened, I have to say, but <laughs> Medvedev made it look like the result was um, was never really in doubt. And uh, yeah, so congratulations to him. And 
He now says he's going to go 100% at Cincy because he says it's not like he's got a bunch of slams and has the luxury of just kind of prepping exclusively for them. Uh, So he plans on going out and giving it his all once again. Um, And, you know, he's having a summer, uh, you know, that's reminded me in some ways now with this big win of of a summer he had a couple of years ago where he looked like the the dominant force on hard court only to be stopped by uh, Nadal in the finals there. Yeah. And um, look, 2019, he made six consecutive finals, but uh, I feel like he's a better player now, um, even from that 2019. And he spoke in press about reaching the finals in Montreal. And that was his first Masters 1000 final at the time back in 2019. And he was happy to be there and didn't feel like he had a proper chance when he faced Nadal there in the finals. And now he's, as I said, a different player. He feels ready to win these t- titles, going confident over to Cincinnati. I felt like the season for him post-Australian Open making the finals there, which was an incredible result, has had some patchy stretches where he probably didn't love how he played on the clay for portions. I know he was really bummed out about only round of 16 at Wimbledon. Maybe we had higher hopes for the Olympics, but he's turning it up at, I would say, the perfect time. And you brought up that match against Hubert Hercatch, which was a three-set thriller. And for me, that was the turning point of the tournament for him because Medvedev, I think for much of that that match, and he admitted this, he was getting outplayed um, by Hercatch. So for him to kind of claw through that, come through in a third-set tiebreak, that gathered so much confidence and momentum that he really took over after that point. That, that was my favorite match of the tournament that I caught live. Uh, I only caught so many, of course, but uh, that one really stood out for me. And uh, today's match was not at that level, unfortunately. Opelka, I felt like, really struggled when he was coming into net, which he kept trying to do, but uh, most of them, it felt like, went into the net. Um, he said he had trouble with Medvedev's flat shots today and that he just felt uncomfortable out there in the rallies because of how his opponent plays so well and how Medvedev was able to neutralize his game today. He called Medvedev one of the top three returners in the game and and said it was just hard to hurt him. And that's exactly how it felt for fans who were watching it either live or on uh, TV today. Yeah. And uh, one point that really stood out to me, um, Medvedev up a set, up kind of an early break in the second set. And Opelka finally had one opening at a break point. And Opelka bombed a couple of forehands, like one deep in the cross-court corner that Medvedev, with with his incredible defensive skills, somehow dug it out anyway with his two-handed backhand. And then Opelka tried a failing drop shot. And he kind of felt from that moment, it was like, well, that was the one opening for Riley to maybe get back in that match. He tried to take it, and he just couldn't hit through Medvedev. His defense from the back of the court is incredible, and he moves so well for someone of his size. So it's a fourth Masters 1000 title for him now. I just wanted to mention this is kind of an interesting stat for 2021 we have five different masters 1000s champions actually we start in miami hubert Hercatch won the title there which was maybe a bit of an unusual tournament because we didn't have any of the big three uh stefano Tsitsipas won in monte carlo zverev won madrid uh, rafael nadal won rome and now Daniel medvedev winning toronto so really speaking to i i know djokovic nadal have had kind of the stranglehold on the grand slams but there wait, is wait, a who's lot had, who's had the stranglehold on the grand slams this year well, Djokovic. Okay, but great. Just, I, just checking. Just even even going back, you know, 2020, 2019 as well. But that that's fair. Um, there is definitely a lot more parity in the game right now, especially when we go into that best two of three format. It's fun. I love it. I love the fact that we're seeing different names now. 
and we're seeing a preview of of what's to come and uh this is what happens right like at a certain point every generation has to pass the torch to the next one and you know any tennis fans out there who are saying well once the big three go it's going to be this big void yeah of course there's going to be a void there's going to be a transitional period but I feel like we're in that transitional period and that we're seeing already who these new faces are and getting to know them and appreciate them and, and like them. I mean, Medvedev is, is funny as hell. I, I love listening to him. He gave a, gave a great speech afterwards and said something to Apelka like this, you know, congratulations on what must be the, the greatest day of your life, one of the greatest days of your life or something like that. Yeah. You know, as if losing to him was, was such a great occasion. Um, but he was being playful. And uh, so I like this group. I'm getting to know them as we all are and getting to know them better and better as we get to talk to them in press as well. We had CC pass one-on-one this week too, who's kind of a, a very enigmatic and, uh, and deep thinker, but enjoying sort of figuring out how to pick apart his brain. And um, yeah, I think uh, once those big three do retire, we'll miss them. It's not going to be the same, but uh, you could say the same when Sampras and Agassi left for, for American tennis, there's always going to be things that are different. And um, I'm not saying I'm excited for it in the sense that I want it to be here now. Mm -hmm. I want to see the big three stick around a little bit longer, but I'll enjoy it and I'll be ready for it when it happens, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's always a concern that there's going to be a, a major void left in tennis, a major chasm that once you have these big three out. And as you point out, I'm sure those conversations took place when when we go back uh, to previous generations like the San Francisco, Borg, Connors, Lendl, all those players. So tennis moves on. We always have amazing players. Um, I, I know, of course, better Djokovic, Nadal, these are super athletes and uh, they're going to resonate forever and they are still playing for now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to see new faces win titles as well. We'll jump over to Montreal and speaking of new faces winning big titles. This one for me was an unusual tournament and not that this is a new face on the tour. Italy's Camilla Giorgi has been playing for quite a long time, but this is without a doubt the biggest title of her career as she toppled Karolina Pliskova in the final 6-3-7-5 to win Montreal. It's her first WTA 1000, I believe her, her third singles title, but by far her biggest and what an incredible run that she had all week that I must say I really did not see coming. Yeah, I mean, come on, Camila Georgie, really? She's the champion of Montreal? I mean, for her, this is fantastic. But who in their right mind would have picked that before the tournament? Not even Italy would have picked that before the tournament, i got to be honest. So a huge result, a stunning result, and a a great storyline, you know? Could she do it? And then going into the finals against Pliskova, and maybe many many people thought, well, Pliskova's the number four seed, she's the more accomplished, uh, distinguished player, made the finals at Wimbledon earlier this summer. But then you look at the head-to-head, which this summer has been so lopsided and suddenly in Camila Georgie's favor. I mean, prior to June, Pliskova led 5-1 in that head-to-head. Georgie won on grass. Georgie beat her in the Olympics and now here in the finals as well. And it didn't even go to a third set. It was in straight sets. So um, fantastic play from her. Seems like she's dialed back her game a little bit. You know, the other day I joked how Georgie has a plan A. And if that doesn't work, she's got plan A. But... It seems like she's willing to play a little bit safer, uh, made some adjustments, and she'll be turning 30 in December, but good for her for having her career best result this week on Canadian soil. Yeah, it look, it's it's been a great bounce back 
for her, I think, in terms of her career, because uh, 2018, to me, that was her best season. She made quarterfinals at Wimbledon. She won a WTA title that season and uh, broke back inside the top 30, which she did do earlier in her career. So she was playing great tennis. And then um, she kind of fell off the radar in 2019. I felt she dropped out of the top 50. We would see her name kind of lingering in draws, but we, we would often see these early round exits. And she's really gotten it back on track, especially this season. And even that Olympic result, making quarterfinals at the Olympics is very impressive. And suddenly back inside the top 40, knocking on the door of the top 30. Um, this is a fantastic week and result for her. And I, I think she's playing smarter tennis than she has in the past. She has such a powerful game. But if you can measure that game and control it and uh, bring back the margins a little bit, dial it back, you can be really, really effective. And uh, one of her wins that impressed me the most against was actually Coco Goff, who, of course, we spoke to earlier. I thought Goff was playing decently well and Georgie was playing phenomenally well. Yeah, Georgie's also someone I think who's been kind of misunderstood in a way. She had a quote from a few years ago where she said something along the lines that she doesn't follow women's tennis and everybody kind of, you know, went after her for that. But she clarified that in her post-championship uh, press conference today and said what she meant was when she's not at a tournament, she has other interests and she's not following. She's 100% dialed in. And she alluded to being interested in fashion and things like that. And it, you know, it kind of reminded me of Jeannie Bouchard in the sense that she gets slagged all the time for having other interests and things like that. And what's wrong with that? You can, you know, still look at what Georgie's done here. So it's good to have balance in life too, even for professional athletes. And uh, I think Georgie's one of those players. I've always wondered why is she not ranked higher? Because when you see her at her best, she's quite stunning out there. And it reminded me of her Wimbledon quarterfinal match to Serena Williams, her loss to Serena Williams in 2018. Georgie took the first set and was playing lights out. And then Serena got back into the match and Georgie's play dip, but knew she was capable of some great things, just hadn't seen her put it together consistently. Yeah, and you made a good point. I think the last time we spoke about Georgie, an aspect that is surprising is uh, she is of slight size, but packs such a punch and so much weight on her shots that you almost don't expect when you first see her. Um, but she produces such a powerful ball and for her to hone it in. And she must be in Plishkova's head a little bit to win those last three at the head-to-head, I must say. Um, but kudos to Plishkova as well for making another final. This is coming basically on the heels of a Wimbledon final. So she's obviously playing some of her best tennis as well. Before we get to the doubles, I do want to uh, just give props to Rebecca Marino and her phenomenal tournament for those who may have missed the results early on uh, for her to get two terrific wins in this tournament, Madison Keys and then beating Paula Bedosa. And she'll be leaping up in the rankings to 177, uh, which is a huge leap, 43 spots. So back inside the top 200 as of this Monday, Gabby Dabrowski, um, Look, as you said at the top of uh, this podcast, I think people were viewing this as a negative tournament in terms of Canadian play in Toronto and Montreal. Of course, we had Dennis and Felix going out early. Bianca won one match, then lost to Ange Jabeur. But someone took home a title, and Gabby Dabrowski took home a very significant title in doubles alongside Louisa Stefani. And her first time winning in, in Canada at our biggest tournament, which uh, I had to go back and check and see, has Gabby been in a final? Has she, no, semifinal was her best result back in 2013 with Sharon Fishman. Um, and so for someone of Gabby's caliber, it's great to see her put it together at her home tournament, so to speak. Uh, I mean, 
she's from Ottawa, but close enough. And uh, she wins it with Luisa Stefani. And that's an interesting story to me because just a few weeks ago at the Olympics, it was the Brazilian team with Stefani that knocked out Dabrowski and Fishman. Then they team leave. And I asked Gabby about that after her semifinal win, because I've said all along, and I know you've backed me up on this. I think the only thing missing for Gabby the last year or so, or, or two years, because she hadn't won a title in two years, was having a consistent partner since splitting from uh, from uh, Julie Zhu. And so it seems like she's found that person. They click. They and over the last year or so. Yes, I've been through a lot of different partners, but I've been kind of looking at what works, what doesn't work, almost to find the perfect partner for her. And I believe she feels she's found that in Louisa Stefani. And that's clear with their result this week. They plan to continue playing together for Cincinnati, the U.S. Open. Uh, what's the tournament that got moved? Indian Indian Wells? Yes. Uh, they're going to play together for that as well and, and maybe a few others. So they are uh, a team now for the rest of 2021. That's confirmed. And that's great news for Gabby and her fans because I think we might be able to expect some more results like this moving forward. Yeah, I think continuity, especially if you're playing doubles full-time, which Gabby Dabrowski has spoken, out, spoken about making that commitment, changing her mindset and realizing this is how I'm going to carve out a career in doubles. I'm, I'm great at it. It's what I know how to do very well. Um, she's done that so successfully. And with this tournament um, and this success, a win in Montreal, she's uh, back up to number 12 in the doubles rankings. Her career high is number seven. Uh, so back knocking at the door uh, towards that top 10 again. And it will be uh, great to see her and Louisa Stefani as well compete in Cincinnati. Keep it going and see what they can do at the U.S. Open. Um, just wrapping, I guess, the experience as a whole covering this event um, in terms of highlights for me, ap- apart from getting so much inside access, probably for me, a highlight speaking with Karen Hatchinoff. He was such a, a friendly, friendly, nice guy. Um, really appreciated that. Everyone we spoke to, I think, was terrific. Uh, but for me, the highlight in terms of watching tennis was the 28-point tiebreak. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Ugo on Bear played early on in that tournament. That was Tsitsipas's first match of the tournament, facing a guy who had just recently beat him um, at the Olympics. And they had such a battle, so much unfolding on center court. 23-minute, 28-point tiebreak. That, for me, was the highlight of the tournament. Right on. Um, for me, it was uh, just on a more general level, being back and watching live tennis yet again. Yep. Uh, we covered the event virtually, so that meant when we were um, aside from sort of following things and whatnot on our, on our own for later use on the podcast, but it was great just to have our, our, uh, our presence there and to be able to take it all in. Um, you know, you brought some friends and, and, and family and your partner to uh, some of the games. I did the same. That was nice, too, to enjoy it alongside, uh, you know, the people we care about, not to get too sentimental, but, you know, it's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we definitely grew from our first time covering this event. So that was two years ago, back in 2019, the first time we covered it together. We had more guests. We had more variety of guests, uh, more balance between both tournaments even. And, you know, it might sound cliched, but I'm, I'm quite proud of what we've done and, and I think the feedback that we've received has kind of confirmed that uh, you and I are on the right track with things here. Yeah. Um, and, and thanks so much to all our listeners who've been chiming in and enjoying the podcast. We read all of your compliments and kind comments and really, really appreciate it. In terms of the importance, too, of these tournaments um, in Toronto and Montreal, just holding this action again is so critical for Tennis Canada moving forward. It was uh, obviously such a difficult year in 2020, losing the tournament entirely. We thought months ago, even if we were going to get it, we never thought we'd have fans back in the stadium. And uh, Carl right. Hale, um 
obviously director of the tournament tournament director mentioned uh, we had over 50,000 on site in Toronto, which is uh, so fantastic that so many people came out, especially considering we, we lost the big three. So we didn't have the big global superstars that sometimes people are only keen on seeing. And we still had so many fans come and watch the tennis. Yeah. Carl said, uh, as you mentioned, over 50,000 fans here in Toronto this week, he was proud of the on-site vac- vaccination clinic that mm-hmm. uh, the National Bank Open conducted for players and fans. Uh, the bubble was a success, uh, right? They only kicked one person out of the tournament for breaching protocol, but uh, yes. no We're COVID Musetti, incidents. But that's okay. <laughs> right? Yep. No COVID incidents. The weather held up. <clears throat> so it really sounded like, from his perspective, it was best-case scenario, especially because up until a few weeks ago, they were operating under a 1300 fan maximum. So to get to 5,000 was definitely um, a bonus. And uh, a final thought before we move on from uh, what a great week we had here at the tournament in Canada. And I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on the new trophy that came in this year with the name change from the Rogers cup to the national bank open. We ditched the maple leaf trophy. We got this new one, which is uh, very unique looking. And I think you're going to provide us firstly with a, an explanation for what's the thought process behind this new piece of hardware in Canada. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems fitting, I suppose, if you are going to change a trophy and change the trophy you're giving out at a tournament, the time to do it is during the inaugural inaugural year of a new name for the tournament, which is now, of course, the National Bank Open presented by Rogers Cup. And this new trophy, um, it kind of represents the duality of the sport of tennis because we have sort of a a ball in the middle seemingly being passed and forth, uh, back and forth between rackets, um, of course, um, playing side by side. Um, And I kind of like the imagery of the duality, which is tennis, Uh, two opponents on either side of the court at first it was a change um but i kind of like the new look to be honest it's kind of like representing the duality of my last week which was trying to balance covering a tournament virtually with still having my three kids at home so (laughs) i can relate to it on that level um i wasn't so sure at first just because i really liked the old trophy with the maple leaf on it in part because i got to pick up that trophy at a draw ceremony a couple of years ago. So I felt some uh, attachment to it, I guess it was having trouble letting go, but as the tournament went on and certainly today, when I got to see Daniil Medvedev hoist it on center court in Toronto and then parade it around the court as well for fans, it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty darn cool. It is not like uh, trophies that you see sort of standard trophies that you see at other tournaments. So I really like the thought process behind it. I like the look. And I think once I get to pick it up, hopefully at some point in the future, then I will be 100% sold on it too. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day. Definitely a fresh new look uh, in terms of a trophy, which is completely unique compared to the rest of the tour, which I do enjoy. It's being used on both the ATP and WTA side, same trophy. Just as we're wrapping up, I should uh, remind listeners a lot of action coming up for both tours. Western and Southern Open is already officially underway from Cincinnati. And then, of course, um, not too long after, in a couple of weeks, we'll have the U.S. Open and a Brief bit of Federer news. Uh, We are going to get to this in our next episode, but Roger Federer is undergoing another knee surgery. So he is out for the U.S. Open and he is done for the season. And we are finally done for the week. It's been a long and hectic week, but I don't know about you, Mike. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a blast. It's uh, my favorite week every year on the calendar, except for 2020 because we didn't have it on the calendar. But otherwise... 
Uh, absolutely love it. And, and getting back, you know, it was baby steps this year. It wasn't the full experience for fans or for media, but I think we did our best. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of, a lot of growth, a lot of first new players to talk to that we hadn't had before great content. And I should also say without giving away who we got to speak with a few other players as well. And, and tennis personalities that we'll yep. be sharing in the coming weeks. So lots of good stuff ahead at, at match point Canada. And, and I just want to thank everybody for listening, supporting, engaging, and uh, stick with us. We got a lot more of the tennis season to come still. Yeah, please keep checking in. Um, we will be sure to reshare all of our episodes from the past week. I can fully understand if you haven't, haven't had a chance to listen to them all. You've been listening to the Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada for this week, the official podcast of the National Bank Open from Toronto. We will talk to you guys next time.